You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 97, covering Data's Day and The Wounded, with Laura Woodard. Hello, friends. We're back. Hi. And we have a guest that has never been on the show before. Our pal Laura is here with us. Hi. Hi, Laura. And Hi. she is here for sinister reasons that we will get to shortly. Wow. Uh, <laughs> for now, though, let's uh, talk about Data's Day. Which is the episode that I have done? Let's. How about you tell us? About I'll it tell out. you about my Star Trek vacation, and it goes. Start talking about it now. Thusly, I will. I'll do it when I feel like it. Don't <laughs> rush me. Here we go. We open with Data writing a letter. Between one thing and another, playing Sherlock Holmes with Geordi, having a pen pal, being kissed by that one chick on that one planet, indulging in a bit of irony, teaching Q how to be human, creating an artificial life form, being kidnapped by Saul Rubinek, and having an impromptu family reunion with his evil brother and long-lost creator, Data has completely fallen behind on his correspondence, and hastily scrawls out a quick note to Maddox, that jerk from back in Season 2. You know, the one who called him It, and tried to take Data away from his family like so much Mr. Thatcher from Citizen Kane. You guys aren't ready for that joke, but your grandparents are going to love it. Anyway, Maddox was a dick, and I can see why Data dragged his feet for so long writing to him. He doesn't even begin the thing with, how are you? I am fine, which is the clearest indication to me that he's still carrying a grudge. So as you might guess from the title, the first half of this episode deals with a typical day in the life of our second favorite android. Sorry, Matt will punch me if I rank Andrea from the original series anyway below number one on that list. Yep. Uh, we watch him making preparations to be in Chief O'Brien's wedding. We see him experiment with jovial insults. We join him as he picks out wedding gifts with Worf. All this is exactly as hilarious as it sounds, and it's difficult for me to make jokes about some of the finest comedy Next Gen has managed to deliver so far. That's why I'm dancing around summarizing the actual plot. Oh, and uh, speaking of dancing, if you like watching people tap dance for ten straight minutes, Data's Day is the episode for you, friend. You know how we keep asking what Dr. Crusher's good at? I take it back. I don't want to know anymore. Look, tap dancing requires tremendous skill, and I'm sure somebody somewhere enjoys watching it, but probably not on a show where we're following the adventures of a robot on a spaceship. This episode also has a ton of significant first appearances. Mr. Mott, the bully and barber. Spot, Data's cat, to whom he will one day compose a poem, and who will one day change sexes for the convenience of the plot. And, yes, Chief O'Brien's horrible bride-to-be, Keiko Ishikawa. Keiko, who occupies the positively essential role of the ship's botanist, cancels the wedding. Then doesn't. Confusing poor Data and giving Miles a taste of things to come. Dude, you think the Cardassian War was bad? You have no idea. Get out while you can! <clears throat> then, as we're really building up some serious comedic momentum, the story takes an abrupt turn to the sort of deadly danger that we all demand from every Star Trek episode. Wait, we don't demand that at all. That's the producers. We could totally deal with watching how people spend their day without any serious plot or impending doom. <sighs> So there's a Vulcan ambassador who ends up being a Romulan, and she pulls a trick involving a tr fake transporter mishap to escape back to her people. So now O'Brien has to deal with this on top of everything else. Fortunately, the day is saved, and Data's titular day ends with the wedding, which is now back on for some reason. And naturally, it's an entirely Japanese wedding, with absolutely no acknowledgement of O'Brien's culture or heritage. Because here, like everywhere else in the Trek universe, the official policy is no Irish. Poor Chief O'Brien. Yeah, he has not yet begun to suffer. <laughs> well, as as we will find Ugh. out in DS9, the the mantra there was he's the nicest guy. Let's let's let him suffer. Let's torture him. And that's why they paired him with Keiko. 
God, she's horrible. Oh. And and like I say, from day one, like I thought, yep. I thought she, I thought I remembered her being okay and then getting worse, but nope. She's nope. Like, nope. From her very first scene, Dana. Yeah, and she's she's got these mood swings, these crazy. Laura said like teenage mood swings. Yep. Where she's just like, uh, I want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. Oh, I don't know what I want. Annie Wilkes from Misery was more uh, centered. <laughs> yeah, not good. Uh, so my good thing is this was a really funny episode. It might be the funniest they've done so far as far as light episodes go. They really figure out where Spiner's comedic sweet spot is with Data. People reacting to him are great. Even Bever gets some good moments with him. I mean, the dancing thing goes on way too long, but it's... Way, way too long. But there's some funny moments there. There's some funny moments where... I mean, he comes in and asks how to dance, and they do that. Mm. And now I'm ready to dance at the wedding. Oh. Well, no, well, you're not. Well, we should probably try this again. Yeah. And, then, and there's, like, there's some great, like, uh, just just visual comedic stuff in this, too. Well, he does that miming thing great. He does the, the body language and the, mm-hmm. the, the sort of deadpan, like, stiff thing when he's supposed to be making movements. And it kind of makes you think about how you move as a person. Like, yeah, that's weird. Oh, yeah, I guess I would move my arms there. Huh. All right, then. Uh, and my bad thing is, well, the Romulan subplot would have been a good B story in some other episode, or even an A story, but it completely overshadows and derails the com- comedic momentum. I mean, I know we have to have some kind of danger, but it really ruins what began as one of the best light episodes we've ever done. Yeah, I, I still don't like that that desperate need. Like, this has come up before, that, that need to have something happen. Well, we had that one episode. We had family, mm-hmm. where it's just <laughs> Picard wrestling with his old brother in, yep. in mud. Yep. And that's the whole episode, and, and it was fine. We didn't need any danger. Next episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Captain Picard wrestles with an old man in the mud. In the vineyard. In the vineyard yeah. of France. And, and and apparently that was a huge push with the producers. Like, they wanted some kind of a plot, you know, a ploy to start mm-hmm. a war. And it's just, we can handle it. It's okay. Yeah. Like, I like episodes like that. I like one-off episodes where nothing happens and you see how people... Like, like we got Riker hitting on a, you know, whoever's taken over for Worf in the, on the night shift. Mm-hmm. You don't see that hey usually because he's always tending to the danger. Yeah, you want to hear the, the time I hit a guy with a hammer? <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> I think so. He's just leaning on the console. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even remember what he was saying, but his body language was just perfect. Yep. It's like, hey, how's it going? And then uh, Data comes in and just stares at them. Yeah. What is going on here? Nothing. Data spends a lot of time in this episode just staring at people. Well, that's how I figure he spends a typical day. There's a there's a scene where uh, where uh, Bever's uh, helping some pregnant woman, <laughs> and he just sort of walks into sick bay and just stands there with his legs spread wide. Yeah, the the woman's <laughs> belly is exposed. It's obviously a pretty private moment. And uh, Data just walks in. Yep. Hey, how's it going? Uh, so, Laura, what about you? Good thing, bad thing. My good thing was, well, obviously, you know, Spiner's fantastic in it, yeah, like is. you said. Um, but it's it, a more subtle good thing is there's a scene where they go into the barber and, you know, it's obviously it's Jordy getting his hair cut and they're having their main conversation there. And that's mm-hmm. where the focus is. But in the background, there's this crazy gray haired alien with huge hair mm-hmm. and she dyes the hair with just a glowing magic stick. <laughs> I feel like this is being sold in like uh, infomercials in the future. It it should be. I want it now. Like glowing the, magic dye stick comes with everything you see. Here. Yeah, my my beard's starting to go a little gray. I would love to just wave a wand over it. Wave you know? a stick over here it. Yeah, it goes. that's it. 
Yeah, that How is. How great is that? that? And I didn't even notice it. Like, I was looking at her big hair. I didn't even realize that's what was going on. It could have been my, my copy wasn't great, but that that is fantastic. I yeah. just love Data shoots them both a look while he, while he's talking to Jordy, just sort of, yeah. the hell? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it is really odd-shaped hair. Oh, yes. It was, it was but... sort of Marge Simpson by way of those ugly aliens from last week. Yep. It was tall and sort of intricate and like a beehive, but like a real beehive. Like, someone very very clearly worked very hard to make that look as stupid as possible. It might have been like a wasp hive haircut. Yeah. But with a ball on top. Yes, exactly. And and I wonder what... She must have a not very demanding duty, because I can't imagine anything that wouldn't disrupt that. <laughs> like, somewhere where she sits very still. Well, hairspray is very powerful in the future. That's true, as as we saw with uh, with Beverly in a couple of those scenes. Yeah, they can oh. use actual stasis fields from it now. Apparently. <laughs> um, your bad thing? My bad thing um, is Keiko. Um, yes. She's just oh, she's got stupid sticks and her stupid hair and her <laughs> stupid plants and just she's awful. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she is. Like I said, I was hoping she would be good at first and sort of become horrible, but they clearly just wanted nope. her to be horrible from day one. Just from the get-go. Just awful. Yeah. Awful, awful woman. Yep. And you just yep. wonder, Chief O'Brien's so likable. Why? Why? And he Be points out in the episode, he, he's mumbling under his breath about all her bad characteristics. Yep. And, and you he never, still wants to marry her. You never once hey. see him defending her. Like a, like a you know, a, a, a husband-to-be would totally be like, no, 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 she's great. She's, she you does this. She, she's, yeah. she's, she's just in a bad mood. It's okay. No. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that would be the no. typical move for him to say, oh, it's fine. She's great. No, no, she's like this all the time. Yep. And it only gets worse when they have kids. My eyes! Yeah. Uh, okay, Matt, what about you? Okay, so my good thing, Spiner shines in this episode. Yeah, he does. Um, I mean, Al talks about how funny he is, and that's true, but the acting is so good. Well, he basically Just... gets a comedy scene with each person individually. Yeah, and each one of them is different. Each one of them is is done like, like his... His acting is just super, super subtle. Yep, and it's like always... the only the only time that doesn't really work is during the uh, the uh, tap dancing scenes when he is very clearly replaced by someone else. <laughs> yeah, when the Blu-rays <laughs> come out, that's going to be like ridiculously obvious. It's like who is this yellow guy who keeps hanging out with Doctor Crusher? But while the damn dance, tap dancing thing did go on and on, I did there were some funny moments in there. I like that his arms stayed perfectly still. Yep. I liked that at the end of it, Beverly's all out of breath, and Data's just like, okay, what's next? Mm -hmm. Like, there was there was some still pretty funny moments in there. Yeah, and I also like uh, Data's letter to Maddox reveals so much about his character, character, and it's really fun to watch. Yeah, you get kind of a unique glimpse into his perspective, like how he sees things. Yeah, like, you really start to see, like, just how how he works, Yep. you know? And how much of his humanish things are sort of programs that he made to appear human. Mm-hmm. Like, he really wants to fit in. Yeah, there, there's this great scene with him and uh, and O'Brien, where O'Brien comes into his office, mm -hmm. to uh, or oh, his God, quarters yeah. or whatever. And he just, like, he keeps offering himself, would you like a pillow? Yeah. Would you like me to turn on some soothing music? No, sir, I'm just here to it's, talk it's to a you. Great, it's a great, I mean, it's, you know, comedy writing 101, but it, I, I say that in a good way. It's, it's mm -hmm. classic escalation. First, have a seat. Yep. Then, like, you know, would you like a drink? And then it starts getting sillier and sillier. Yeah. Would you like a soothing back rub? <laughs> hey, brother. Yeah. Uh, and your bad thing? Uh, fucking Keiko. Yeah. 
I usually discourage us from having the same bad thing, but she's bad enough to warrant a double bad thing, I think. Oh, God. She's so bad. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you agree with us on that, Laura, because we will, we will come to differ in the next episode about more about a character that hasn't shown up yet, but we'll get there. Mm. We, um, like, you talk about how the wedding is just completely Japanese without a hint of O'Brien's Yeah, and the, culture. Thing, the thing I like genuinely about Star Trek is we, you know, as much as they go on and on about how groundbreaking they were or whatever, they do mm-hmm. have a lot of different cultures. And what I like is when you have two distinct cultures like this and they sort of combine them. Yeah. I kind of expected to see half Japanese traditions and half Irish traditions. And mm-hmm. nope, it was all her. Which, again, makes a lot of sense for the character. And as we'll see in the next episode, she's she's the same way at home. Yeah. It's not just, the, it's not just you know, like some women about their weddings, they're kind of controlling. They're kind of like, I want this. This is my special day. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. But she's always like that. The, the Keiko O'Brien wedding. Yeah. Slogan, my way or the highway. <laughs> not good. Um. As I was watching, uh, Amanda pointed out that uh, the white flowers at the wedding, apparently in Japanese culture, signify death. And then Laura was saying, also, also here, is that yes, is that in a all cultures, like, like, yeah, no, white flowers, are no white funerals. flowers at a wedding, no. And yet they're all over the place. I, I I like the idea that Keiko doesn't actually know anything about Japanese culture. She just likes to think she does. Well, yeah, because she's got some Asian heritage. She thinks, oh well, you know, like Worf. Like I, yeah, exactly. I, I learned all this stuff from a book. I'm getting back to my roots. Yeah, no, you're not. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. <laughs> Honey, no. I I think it's cute. <laughs> well, I say this in a condescending way, but really, I, she's the botanist. Yeah. Like, what, what do they need one of those for? <laughs> a job so important that on the original Enterprise, Sulu did it in his spare time. Yeah, he did it among his other 17 hobbies, like collecting guns. Yep. Um, I'm going to fire guns and look at a rose. <laughs> but I mean, there was, um, wow, you haven't done that for a while. Nope, I missed him. Uh, go ahead, say the other thing. <laughs> Tripping balls. There we go. There it is. We really <laughs> got to get to Kay to say that somehow before he dies, because he's like yeah. 70-something now. Um, What was it? Cause, oh, in, in other sci-fi shows, like not this one where everything's perfect and fine and everything works great, the botanist is actually really important because the plants sort of produce the oxygen for people to continue living. But right. on the Enterprise, they're just pretty. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, they have an arboretum, and it's just pretty trees and flowers. Pretty, pretty flowers. Yeah. Not really useful. Not even good flowers. She gives Data a carnation. Yeah. Yep. It's not like she's got cool exotic stuff growing there. Just normal, boring stuff. Yeah. Every time they went back to that botany lab, I kept looking for the pot. <laughs> it's in there. Yeah, it must be. That's why they have to put the no smoking signs up all over the place. Yeah, exactly. Clearly. Um, and Riker likes getting wicked baked. <laughs> I could totally see that. <laughs> on the holodeck. Turn on some harp horn. On the holodeck with Minuet. Come on, you got to yep. try ahead of this. It's not going to work. Just just indulge me, would you please? Yeah, come on. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, seriously, like, I'm trying to think, would they sign on a special civilian botanist? Because... I could see, okay, O'Brien came on board when he was already married, and they needed, you know, she she needed mm. something to do. But by herself, why? I, I just don't get it. Why is she there? I don't understand. Somebody has to yeah. trim the bonsai trees. I, I guess. Can't the computer do that? Don't they have a robot for that? There's not enough feng shui on the Enterprise. I, I guess. She probably doesn't know what that means anyway. No. I'm sure she read it in a book somewhere. Yeah, yeah. quite possible. Okay, so I gotta move this chair. <laughs> and there was a chair. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah. So I've been I've been steering clear of some of the more specific comedic scenes just because I don't know what my quote is yet. <laughs> just because I picked seven of them because there were so many funny moments. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, with with the barber scene. So we we should steer clear of that one, but the rest of them are are fair game. I, I wanted to talk about the. Uh, I do like the first appearance of Mr. Mott, the bartender, or the bartender, the barber. Yes. The first, like, there's so many great sort of uh, supplemental characters that they have, like, as the show goes, and he's just, he's worthless. Like, he's just a barber, but for some reason he keeps popping up. They love that guy. He's the best guy with a seam in his face of anyone. That's why he's on the Enterprise. Obviously. They, they you know, best bartender, best barber, best uh, hair wand operator. Uh, so what else? Uh, Riker mentions bears at one point because, of course, he does. Because you know. he's from Alaska, of course. Obviously, that's what you think of in Alaska is bears, I guess, and service being selling. Um, <laughs> okay, so we should talk about the Romulan ambassadors. Uh, well, well, you had a nickname for her, Laura. What? Uh... I like to refer to her as the Ambassador Hat. <laughs> she had a hat that was taller than that woman's hair in in the barbershop. She that had, that was a legendary hat. It was like a pope hat. It was like that tall, but I taller. Don't see, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see how she came through the door of the ready room back onto the bridge. It should have like comically fallen off. And yeah, no, that was a truly epic hat. Yeah, you could fit Alexander in there easily. I mean, let, let me just say this. We are talking about a hat so big that she has hat underwear that Data Cat just are wearing later in the episode. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yep. Which is like weird sort of old school 40s rocket man. Like, she's got a fin on her head. It mm -hmm. looks like a swimming cap almost. Yeah, except it's got that weird fin. Like, it's a it's an aerodynamic swimming cap. Like, it's it's for swimming really fast in the water. Yes. She likes to pretend to be a shark. <laughs> She's got the fin just sticking out of the water. I think the the point of that was that the, the actress did not want to wear the ears because the ears were so clearly applied to the outside of the hat. Okay. Yeah, it was like it was like 90s Captain America. Yeah. She just, she didn't want, wait, did 90s Captain America have like fake ears on the outside? Well, the, of the 90s Captain America movie, he had like, like, uh, his Captain America mask just had ears hot glued to the side of it. God. Yeah. That's almost as bad as the Reed Richards painted, uh sideburns thing yeah that's terrible mm -hmm. and the worst uh, part was that the uh the ears that were glued to the side of the hat were also spray painted silver yeah they were they, well they they really weren't didn't match her skin tone at all no not great bad, uh, <laughs> bad ears yeah so what else anything anyone <laughs> anything i the thing i like about this episode is that it's so simple and unfortunately that translates to not having a whole lot to talk about no and like i said in my summary it's hard to make jokes about something that's inherently funny mm -hmm. like like this is a really excellent episode i can't think of them doing comedy better like they might do it better later mm -hmm. but at this point this is the funniest one yeah and and i like that and it's more character it's, it's character driven it absolutely is. It's not like in the original series where the, the Tribble episode was really funny, and that was more situational, because you had mm -hmm. these cute creatures who bred a lot, and that was funny, but this is entirely based on the characters. It's a different yeah. kind of humor, but it works really well. Now, if I had to find one flaw in this in this episode, it's the, like, the, the, the B-plot just doesn't fit in. No, not at all. But again, I like it. Like, I, I would have oh, liked it somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. But it it just does not work here. And this is, once again, an example of them taking a character-driven episode like, uh, what was it, Family, right? Yeah. 
and just trying to drop in like action elements and it just not it it just does they don't click together no they really don't um and also of course we got another um romulan commander who is not tomalak yeah and that just made me sad yeah you're not tomalak why do i care about you go away come back when you're tomalak oh and he had that thing behind him <laughs> oh yeah the dalek <laughs> it looked like a dalek who's the like he had a clear plastic head yeah and it had one of those things you buy from radio shack that has the the lightning that you the can light, put your yeah, fingers the, uh, to and, touchy yeah. orby thingy right it's like a dalek lost his head and they replaced it with that yes <laughs> where's my head <laughs> but the way they framed the shots when they were talking to the romulan commander like he like this dalek was always there yep just always sort of hanging, hanging out. out i'm i'm still here i feel like they shot him, like, against a back wall, and they're like, okay, this doesn't look space, like, it doesn't look bridgy enough. Yeah, put in some space stuff. What can we put in here that makes it look more like a spaceship? Ooh, we got this thing for ten ninety nine. Hi there. <laughs> oh, you think it's a real Dalek that they, like... Yeah, he's just hanging around backstage. Ah, of course. I'm a big fan of the show. And plus, because they're they're aliens, they're not in the actors union, and you don't have to pay them as actors. Yeah, exactly. You have to pay them the prop rate, which is almost nothing. <laughs> oh God the the night the 1990 Dalek Hollywood strike that was a rough one. Yeah, it was. That that's why Doctor Who went away. Yep. They couldn't make Doctor Who without Daleks, so they had to go away for a while. <laughs> Drunken time travel is going to kill us for making all this up. <laughs> Two, four, six, eight scabs. We will exterminate. <laughs> well, I'm not going to beat that. All right. Any uh, any further points, Laura? No, I'm good. Matt? Uh, no, I think we can move on. All right. So my quote, like I said, there were so many to pick from, but I had to go with this one because because if you're doing a data episode, really the data Jordy bits are going to be the best no matter what. Mm-hmm. Because that they're, they're nature's best friends. That's just always going to happen. Yep. And this is Data experimenting with casual insults. Here for a trim? My hair does not require trimming you, lunkhead. What? My hair does not require trimming Lunkhead? I am experimenting with friendly jibes and insults. It was not meant as a serious disparagement. <laughs> well, just don't try it on the captain. No. Which I noticed as we're all doing our running commentary in our notes, we all we all just wrote, you know, lunkhead. <laughs> it's such a weird insult choice, too. It's like uh, Data's watching Three Stooges episodes or yes, something. Yes, exactly. But his delivery there is just so fantastic, too, because he's not even trying to sound insulting. He's doing it so pleasantly. I'm doing really well, you lunkhead. Yes. Now come over here and I will poke you in the... Oh, I guess not. Nyuk, nyuk. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's push on to the other episode, The Wounded. Oh, wait. The Wounded. The Wounded. And that is for our guests. So why don't you tell me all about that? I will. All right, so, then. So this episode starts out with the gang listening to Papa Picard tell war stories about the Cardassian War. Worf is being Worf and claiming things have no honor, because of course he is. And we then get a peek into the life of the newlyweds, Miles and the Whale, where the Whale forces O'Brien to eat the disgusting-looking food of her people, while O'Brien just wants some oatmeal. And then the Whale makes an innuendo to a little something special, which, ew, nobody needs that. 
breakfast is interrupted with a red alert as a Cardassian ship starts firing on the Enterprise. Upon hailing the ship, one Gul Dukat, I mean Muset, is all, Your Federation ship troats fired on the Cardassian. What's up with that? While wearing an atrocious headband, hat, armor, really, what is that thing? And Papa Picard convinces him to chillax by essentially pointing out that my ship can totally beat up your ship. Picard investigates by calling a dude with a mustache and learns that the rogue ship is the Phoenix, captained by one Benjamin Maxwell, who conveniently was in command of a ship that O'Brien previously served on. Three Cardassians come aboard with their horrible head things, and Troy gives a, gives a look that implies she senses something, because that's not totally obvious by the grimace on O'Brien's face. <laughs> the command crew then attempts to track down the Phoenix while Doucette, as I'll now call him, and his weird chin mustaches doubt their commitment <clears throat> to finding one of their own. O'Brien gets all huffy, and Papa Picard calms everyone down, presumably by offering them candy if they'll behave. They find the phoenix, and Picard runs away to the bridge to be all captain-y. A very nice Cardassian fellow follows O'Brien to the turbo lift and is very polite to Miles, inviting him to come throw back a few at the bar. O'Brien is a complete jerkwad to that poor nice chap and leaves him looking aghast. O'Brien makes the whale a giant bowl of potatoes, and she's horrible and interrupts the man singing like the horrible person she is. He then tries to have real talk with her, and she's all, The hell are these little things and the food you so graciously made me? Wah. <laughs> Back on the bridge. More of the same. Doucette wants some codes. Picard says no, and they watch what looks like a video game on the view screen. Still no response from the Phoenix, and Picard finally gives in regarding the codes, and Worf makes a face that looks like somebody just stabbed him in his toe. <laughs> the Phoenix takes out some Cardassian ships, and Doucette leaves the bridge to go hug a bunny or something. Well, we know where those come from now. We do. <laughs> Picard and O'Brien have a little chat about Maxwell, and O'Brien reveals that Maxwell is a super cool guy, bro, and Cardassians are obviously just to blame because you have to watch your back around those people. O'Brien then goes to drown his sorrows at having a horrible wife in 10 forward and sees that the super nice Cardassian guy from earlier. He offers an apology, which turns out to be not so much an apology, and then storms out in a huff. The third Cardassian does some stuff, and Doucette's a badass with an intense stare and fusses at him for it. Then he and Picard go off to the ready room to have a super-secret men-in-charge meeting. <laughs> Maxwell comes on board and makes a racist Irish remark to Miles about kissing the stone before getting fussed at by Picard for being all crazy and shooting folks. <laughs> then Picard lays down the law and tells Maxwell to step off and go home. Maxwell reluctantly agrees and goes back to his ship, then promptly disobeys orders and heads off to kill some more Cardassians. There's a showdown between the two Federation ships and a Cardassian ship before O'Brien uses science to beam over to the Phoenix and talk some sense into Maxwell by having a sing-along. And Picard sent to set off with a menacing, we'll be watching you. And Maxwell is brought aboard the Phoenix and confined to his quarters where he'll be no trouble at all. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> I like that you conform to the, uh, to the requirements of our, like, every fifth summary. <laughs> Oh, it's time for a triple reference, of course. I do what I can. She's been counting. Oh, it's, it's due for this now. I also like you calling him Papa Picard. That's great. That may catch on. I really like that. And of course, your your impression of him was fantastic. You did a you did a great Vader for us over on Sarcastic Voyage. I'm glad uh, I'm glad your Picard is up to that as well. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Captain Picard. Sorry, Matt. She's Aww. better. Damn it. <laughs> well, she never beat my decay. That's true. Yeah, I can't do a decay. And of course, uh -huh. my wharf, which I think is terrible, but Kim likes. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, so your good thing and your bad thing? Uh, my good thing. Everything about this episode is just so good. Yeah, it's, it is. It's fantastic. Um, if I had to pick, I would say O'Brien's arc from starting off the episode being all, I hate all Cardassians. 
to his sort of apology, he starts out being like, you know, I'm sorry, but then goes into his rant. And mm-hmm. and then at the end, he talks down Maxwell and pretty much says the same things he said earlier, but different. It's it's amazing. And I'm not going to get into the, the bitchy thing that we get into all the time about Troy and Crusher and all that. Like, the, But I will say those characters really haven't been fleshed out and they haven't had great solo episodes yet. It's amazing this guy in the background mm-hmm. who started out maybe having one or two lines and he's gradually built – has has a has an episode with an arc has a whole fleshed out character that can develop in an yep. hour and it's fantastically it, done it is but he's really like not part of the main cast he's not that important but it's so clear that they love him so much well i mean it's like they finally realized man this guy is really good let's just keep giving him stuff to do the actor is good and they've created a likable character yeah but but like Laura says, they gave him they gave him a whole character arc here where he starts out one place and goes another place. Who gets that in a back like what background character gets that on a show really, especially yeah. on a Star Trek show? Like I can't imagine on the original series like Yeoman Rand or somebody like that getting, you know. No, well that's the kind of thing that Shatner would swoop in and take for himself. Like even Chekhov and Sulu didn't get much. Nope. It's it's really great that they're they're paying attention to more of their extended cast. Like you're you're getting a little more Guinan, you're getting a little mm. more like I mean as horrible as she is, Keiko is an extended character, and yep. later you'll get uh, Nurse Agawa. Is it Agawa? Yes. Yeah, like they're they're doing a good job of sort of teasing out the extended cast, and I really mm-hmm. like that. That was always one of the things I liked about TNG is that like it's such a busy ship, you know. Yeah, and you you get a sense that the, it's full of different interesting people, and we get to follow some of them every now. Yeah, and then. exactly. And DS Nine actually got even better about that. Where yeah, you could say there's six or seven people at the core, but you know there's a no, hundred. DS Nine just had a huge cast. Yeah. They yeah. Did. And it was great. Uh, so your bad thing? Um, at, again, my bad thing is stupid whale. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, and, and can I have two bad things? Is oh, absolutely. The stupid well, Cardassian. Keiko's a given at this point. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's just awful. That's just everyone's understood. touched on her. Yeah, yeah, so you can definitely have a second one. Okay. The Cardassian head things, like, they, they're pointless. Oh. They offer no, like, if no. they're supposed to be armor, there's no protection there. They're just little no. strips of... No, Matt's Whatever. theory was that it maybe protects the spoon yeah. on, on their forehead because it covers those. The the thing with the Cardassian spoon is that you can just press your finger into it. And it just squishes their brain? Yeah, exactly. So they need to make a little thing that covers it. That could be... I I was trying to think of a way to describe it. It looks like Deep Space Nine is around their head. <laughs> yes! It's got that same sort of design <laughs> sensibility, the same sort of thin spires going down around it. Well, yeah, also Cardassian designed, so... Yes. But no, see, and what, I think... Oh, go ahead. What also I don't get is why is he wearing it when he's just on his ship yeah. with a bunch of other Cardassians? I mean, there's... Mm-hmm. And they're all wearing them. Yeah. Yep. I, I can understand I, I, if you're going somewhere else, but... Yeah, like it's his formal wear. Like, I'm going to put on a top hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I want to see Gul Dukat in a top hat. I just want to see Gul Dukat go, I'm going to put on a top hat. Yes. I'm going to put on a top hat. Yeah. Um, I like wore this top hat for the Bajoran people. <laughs> um, no, I, I can't really. I thought maybe if just the captain wore it, it would be like a ceremonial thing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're like viewfinders. But no, there's no electronics on them. Nope. Like, cause I, and I don't know if this is a spoiler to you, Laura, because I know you were making your way through Deep Space Nine. But this is not a very big one if it is. Uh, they, they have these weird viewfinder things. In Deep Space Nine, where they they fit over their heads and they got like a, an eyepiece, mm-hmm. and it's like a tactical thing. And I thought maybe it's something like that, but no. Nope. Sort of like a like a forerunner to that. Yeah, like well, like pilots now wear a heads-up display. They get the the, the helmet yeah. with like the cool electronic, uh, you know, 
mm-hmm. uh, co- cockpit within their helmet, basically. Yeah. And I thought it may be something like that. But nope, it's it, ornamental, I guess. I don't know. Ceremonial? I, I will say that um, the Cardassian, like, there's, there's a few missteps, but overall the design of them. Yeah. Is pretty much what they'll be on Deep Space Nine, and they're a very cool-looking alien. They're a great-looking alien from just right out of the right out of the gate. Well, the, the coolest thing I think about them is those neck ridges that go yes. on the side. They look like sort of spines down their necks, and those yeah. are already there, and they look great. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that said, Laura, you did mention the weird cheek mustache thing that yeah, the little Ducat had going on. The chin mustache, I don't, it's just wrong. It, it doesn't work at all. No. no. Because my copies are sort of ripped from DVDs and lower quality, I thought those were shadows, and I thought he had weird sort of Nixon jowls. <laughs> no. But then you pointed out that there were hair, and I looked a little closer, and I'm like, yeah, that is hair. That doesn't work at all. No, it's it's just bad. And mm. my argument would be, well, they're lizard people, and they shouldn't have hair, but then they have hair on top of their heads, so yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so my good thing... This is the first time Next Gen really captured that submarine intrigue thing that we really liked in the original series. Like, we could pick out four or five episodes from the original series where it's sort of following another ship, not knowing what's going on. Maybe maybe an enemy, maybe not. Like, that yeah. great just chase through space. And, and Star Trek does it really well, and this is the first time Next Gen pulls it off, I think. Mm-hmm. Plus, we get more Chief O'Brien. Yes. yes. I, I feel one. like he wasn't in the season to this point, I believe. He he had like 10 episodes in a row where he was off making a movie or something. And mm-hmm. I feel like they did this to make it up to him. All right, well, we'll give you two in a row. How about that? Yeah, we're going to give you one that's sort of about you and one that's just flat out your episode. Yeah, which is great. And, and then my... later on, we'll give you a show. <laughs> <laughs> the O'Brien Show, starring everyone else. We love you, o- we love you, Chief O'Brien. Yes, we do. We salute you with Irish whiskey and potatoes. Yeah, hard to tar, to teetly tar. Am I a bad thing? Well, Keiko. Um, She won't even eat his food is the thing. Yep. Like, she's like, potatoes? Ew. She she serves him kelp loaf. Yeah, she gives him the most unappetizing food imaginable. Now, I will will admit that I have a boring white guy palate, and I haven't eaten much Japanese food or, like, sea, you know, like, like Mm. sushi-ish type sea stuff. So I I can't really say if that's good or not, but, but. Uh, kelp loaf sounds so unappealing to me. See, I like sushi and Japanese stuff and seafood and stuff. It and it, look it, it looks horrible. Oh, fair enough. Listen, kelp loaf may be the most delicious thing on the planet, but it still sounds yeah, utterly they unappetizing. To, they need to change that name, if nothing else. They need a yeah. better marketing department for kelp loaf. Yeah. Uh, but that's the only thing I can come up with. It was so good. It's a fantastic goddamn episode. And it, yep. like I say, it's got that great intensity that... I honestly don't think Gene, like, I think he was hands-off at this point. This doesn't feel like one he would have wanted. Because mm-hmm. there is no, like, a, a Starfleet captain murdering people? Yeah. That is not his ideal, everyone's great in the future thing. Well, and one of our guys who is blatantly racist against, yeah. a, against a people that he fought a war against. Yeah. Now, I will say, and it's funny to joke and call him a racist, but uh, like Laura said, there's an arc there. Yeah. Where he realizes, okay, I don't actually hate them. I mean, no. I do, but I don't. But it was it was a tough situation, and you know how war is. And he tries really hard. But we also see into Deep Space Nine where he he struggles with it. Yeah. He still feels this, like, like he's learned a lesson here, but it's not one of those neat TV lessons where he never feels it again. Yeah. It keeps coming up. Like, this, it really works for his character. Yeah, and this... Like- 
this is wartime O'Brien. This yeah. is like we'll see. I, I hate I hate to keep bringing up Deep Space Nine, but really, he was a main character there. We deal with the Cardassians. We deal with war. So I mean, it's mm-hmm. no. This episode is very is very much a forefront to DS Nine. Yeah, you could see them looking at this as sort of the blueprint and saying, "More of this, please." Mm-hmm. And it works. And yeah, down to casting that actor as as the lead Cardassian. Yep, the best yep. Cardassian. Which uh, let's well let's... maybe Garrick. I don't know. That's a no, 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 no. Well, let let's let Matt give his good thing, bad thing, and then I definitely want to delve into that. <laughs> so Matt, what do you got? Okay, so my good thing is they finally gave Chief O'Brien his very own episode. Yep, which I think is great. Yep, like you were saying, they took they went from a guy who had no lines in the first episode. Yep. To being, like, one of our favorite characters on the show. Well, and he's gradually ramped up. Like, they gave him a middle name at some point. Yep. And they gave him, I mean, horrible as she is, they gave him a wife. They gave him a domestic life outside of standing by the transporter, and that's cool. Yep. No, stuff actually started happening for him. Which is nice. It's just, it's great. Like, of all the characters in this show that, you know, like, all the sort of side characters, I'm just, I'm so glad that they gave him, like... A real yeah, episode. And a really good real episode. And we talked a bit, like, when we were watching the episodes about Cole Meany and about how he's one of those sort of thankless Hollywood character actors where he pops up everywhere. You don't expect him. Like, you're watching Con Air. Oh, yep. Chief O'Brien. Yeah. I think the last time I saw him was in uh, in Bruges. Right. And if you look at his, like, IMDb or whatever, he's everywhere. He's just... Yeah. He, he loves to work. And it's always these thankless roles where nobody remembers him, but he's always just perfect. Yeah. And I love him. Um, and, like, we're talking, this is a guy who could hold his own movie, you know? Oh, absolutely. Easily. And apart from DS9, he really never got sort of a leading role, and that's yeah. really sad. But it's just nice, it's nice to know he's still working. Yeah. Our, our pal Brian mentioned that if if the third Batman movie had brought in Chief O'Hara, that he, <laughs> like, as a serious character, not, like, from the old 60s Batman show, he totally could have nailed, oh like, the, God, been awesome. the serious Irish police chief. Yeah. That would have been great. Uh, and your bad thing? <laughs> Faith and Begora, Batman. <laughs> oh, Cape Crusader. <laughs> uh, I was actually a little disappointed to learn that the Cardassians were actually up to something at the end of this. Well, probably were up to something at the end of this episode. Well, there's a nice scene between Picard and Fake Ducat where mm-hmm. he's like, okay, putting together the circumstantial evidence, you guys are probably up to something. And all Fake Ducat says is, well, you should have called our bluff. Mm-hmm. And that's no. it. He doesn't say, it was, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just says, nah. Maybe there. Um, the way this episode is set up is really plays with your uh, with you know the, the how you've seen Star Trek. Oh, the, the cliches of the of the aliens coming on board and oh, they look mean. They look yeah. bad. And there and... are the Cardassians are a very sinister looking race of people. Well, but as Laura points out, there's one of them that's particularly friendly and just he's like a yeah. fellow engineer. He wants to talk to O'Brien about transporters and he's and so... O'Brien's a jerk to him. He's yeah. so polite about it. He is, and the guy they cast has these great sort of big puppy dog eyes, and he looks really sad when O'Brien shoots him down. I'm sorry. And you just look at him, he's like, aww. Aw, muffin. Yeah. The other guy looks kind of harsh and, and severe, and then you got fake to cut. But, but yeah. that guy just looks friendly. Mm-hmm. And you feel bad for him. But, but yeah, they're sympathetic, and you can, you know, you relate to their guys dying, and you keep expecting yeah. there to be a, a betrayal moment, and there isn't one. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the guy's played by Ducat, the most duplicitous, like, best villain in Star Trek history. Yeah, but we, we haven't gotten to him yet. We, right, we can but, only really judge this on, you know, its own merits at this point. Also, like, you just you keep expecting him to pull something, and yes. they play it completely straight. This is a guy who actually does not want to be at war with the Federation anymore. No, and he does everything he can to help Picard go through their territory 
and locate the Phoenix to, to make it all stop. Yeah, like everything he does in this episode is to help his people. There's even a point where one of his guys is caught at a computer terminal and we don't know if he was doing something sinister or just mm -hmm. screwing around, but he's having none of it. Yeah. He's a, like, that is wrong. Bad boy. Like, you clearly are not aware of how, like... Delicate how... this is. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that got me was they talked about how the Kardashian War has been over for a year. Mm -hmm. And for the first two seasons, we got all that smug future man thing about how there's no more war. Yeah. Yeah. A year ago was season three, guy. That means mm -hmm. seasons one and two, there was still a war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Liars. I mean, I understand the Enterprise The Enterprise is primarily an explore, exploration ship, so I can understand it not being involved. Yeah, but there's a war out there. But there's definitely a war happening. And you can't brag to people from the past and say we've done with done away with war, because nope. Yeah, we sure have. you, smug future man. Yeah. All right, Laura, let's let's talk about the, the, <laughs> the elephant in the room. You picked this episode because you like the guy who plays Dukat, because you like the character of Dukat. Yes. Why don't you talk about that? I don't. And it, it's not just like a crush thing, right? Like you think he's a like a good no, character? I, I love Ducat. He's fantastic. He's just... I don't okay, think... and for, the, for those of you who haven't seen Deep Space Nine yet, Matt and I would say he is like the main villain. I think Laura yeah. would disagree with that assessment. I think he's the main adversary. I wouldn't call him a villain. So you think it's one of those situations where... Both he's just sides misunderstood. And... Yeah. Really? Okay. He's a nice guy. Oh. How now, far are you into the series? Oh, she's well up to Way of the Warrior. Like, she's seen enough. Wow. Yeah. He didn't I... kill his daughter. That's a nice thing. Spoilers. Yeah, that is a nice thing when you don't kill your daughter. Yeah, that's... Uh, hmm. See? I, I think part of this comes from the fact that you really don't like the Bajorans, though. I really don't. And so you think they have it coming, and so you don't care that he's a butcher. Maybe that's the case. I, I they bug me. No, let me let me ask you seriously, and and I don't I don't say this as a judgment because Matt and I have had a lot of weird crushes. But is there a crush thing going on there? Not physically, because that's well. Yeah, kinda... he's in the weird makeup, but he's yeah, got those no. really intense eyes. He's got a great voice. Like I can mm -hmm. see that. Yeah, yeah. He does. if it were just his eyes and his voice, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but without a... the spiny stuff. Yeah. No, he's yeah. got a great presence. He's just very, and I think they must have realized that here because he was such a nice guy. Mm -hmm. But he's got such a great sort of evil voice, and everything he, he says is just sort of charming, but also like he would play a great devil, like, like yeah, a, like in a serious sort of story about Satan. He'd just be a great, you know. There's there's scenes in this where he smiles, and it's just terrifying. Right, but it's hard not to judge him as the character we see him as later. That's true. It's the thing. But you just think he's misunderstood, huh? You don't think... Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, he was just... He had his orders. He followed, had his orders. It wasn't like he was doing it personally. I mean... Yeah. That's he fair. was just being a good soldier. Fair enough. I completely uh, disagree with that. I, but, uh, yeah. But that that's the point of having guests. That's the point of inviting, you know, uh, opposing viewpoints. It's, it's a very interesting way to look at it. And yeah, we, I would love to have you back on during DS9 proper so we can discuss specific examples of this. Absolutely. But, Definitely. But for now, I mean, you know, you, the guy's a great actor. I think we can all agree on that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, no, definitely. definitely. And, and we've talked a bit about, and this actually will lead me into something else. We've talked a bit about how the captains that are equal to Picard, the guys who are in charge of ships, you know, opposite Picard, have to have that same sort of commanding presence, that sort of gravitas. You're not going to have as great a presence as Papa Picard, <laughs> but they, they have to be approaching his equal. Mm -hmm. And that guy totally does. Oh, you definitely. believe you believe that he and Picard stand roughly on the same ground. 
And that leads me to the guy who plays the captain of the Phoenix. Same deal. Really good actor, really intense. And when he's talking to Picard, you feel like these guys are, are colleagues. Not that Picard is, you know, outclasses him or anything like yeah. that. And I really like that. They've done a good job overall of casting guys. Like, Tomalak was great. The captain of various uh, uh, Klingon ships have been mm-hmm. great. Like, they, they do a really good job of treating captain as a serious thing. Well, it is a serious thing, and they should be treating it that way. Yeah, but sometimes other captains that Kirk would meet would be, like, char- you know, character actor from the D-list. Yeah. That they found out in the parking lot. I'm a captain! Yeah, no, you're not, Mr. Hengist. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great. And the guy who plays uh, Maxwell was um, the warden in uh, Shawshank Redemption. He's got mm-hmm. that great sort of cruel, like, I don't know. He's He doesn't play it the same as he did in that movie, but he's still, you could totally see him out there killing civilians. Yeah. No, I would. I definitely wouldn't call Maxwell a cruel character, but, like, he's definitely broken. He's snapped. He's gone yeah. crazy and he's doing crazy things. Like, I'm sure he was an excellent Starfleet officer before this episode. Yeah. But not now. But then he got to watch his family get killed. And then he had to pretend that that was fine. Right. And then he watched peace happen. He's like, wait a minute. These guys are jerks. Why? We're we're not done here yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just, I I picture him when DS9 goes down, just standing up in his cell or whatever going, I knew it! (laughs) (laughs) But I I really enjoyed him and I really bought that he was a guy who had been pushed kind of too far. We had characters like that in the original series. Actually, didn't we have that in the Doomsday Machine? We did indeed. Where we had a a captain just snap and uh, go crazy for revenge, and uh, that was your favorite episode. It absolutely was. It still is. Very close to one of mine. And I I like that kind of character. I like the pressure and intensity of the stuff they go through out there gets to some people. Mm -hmm. And I think he played that really well. Yeah, like, to, to be that guy just out there, you know... Yeah, you're responsible for 300 and some odd people on your on your ship. Right. That you have to be like the best of the best person to do that. And it it also sort of serves to show how great our main characters are. Exactly. Because you saw Kirk not snapping. You saw Picard not snap. Like, yep. There's a great scene between the two of them where he's ranting and raving about they killed blah blah blah, and Picard's like, "Who? What? Show me!" Like he's so calm and he's so yeah, logical. Yeah. Give me some proof here. Yeah. And there's, he's, you, you sound like a bureaucrat. Why? Why do you think that? Like, he's, <laughs> tell me more. Yeah. He's a better, once again, better counselor than Troy. Yep. But, you know, so are some of Keiko's plants, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? Oh, uh, O'Brien was the tactical officer on the Phoenix. Yep. And now he's the transporter repairman. Now I got a theory on that. Yeah. It's, it, I completely buy that after the war, like, after he finished his, you know, tour in the yeah. Cardassian War, it's just like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. Just put me somewhere where I can do, you know, where I can be the transporter chief. I'm, I'm going to go to DeVry and learn transporter repair. I'm really good at this. Yeah. This is a thing that I'm excellent at. Let me go be excellent at it somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, that turn, that uh, it, that goes into him being like a wartime yeah. Uh, engineer during DS9 and leads to what I'm not going to dwell on because Laura hasn't seen it, but the like the end of his arc. Yeah. But he's still, you know, he's still carrying that baggage with him, which I think mm-hmm. is great. <laughs> Laura, I'm looking at your notes here and I, it just says Cardassian's heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. And of then another one there. says Cardassian's heart, heart. 
They're a great. They're they're just great. I yeah. love the Cardassians, and I feel like uh, Amanda's pointed this out, and I totally agree with her. The Cardassians succeed, and and it's more later. Like they've started here. They succeed where the Romulans failed. Yes, they're better at the cloak and dagger stuff. They're better at the testing the limits of the war stuff. They're just they kept trying to build up the Romulans in the show, and I never quite bought it. And the Cardassians are so much better at all of that. Absolutely. Where they're like one step ahead, and you can never quite tell if they're lying or not, and they're just so much better. That potato casserole looked really good. <laughs> yes, it did. I would eat the crap out of that. More than kelp loaf, really? Yeah, shockingly. Mm, all right. Mm. I like Lori? that it had, it, liked oh. it had capers in it. Yep, delicious capers. People don't, don't use capers enough these days. Well, but That's... when you can replicate any kind of food, you can, you know. Yep. Yeah. Anything's available to you. I mean, you can replicate a stuffed bunny. You can stuff. You can replicate capers. Yeah. But can you replicate a bunny stuffed with capers? I bet oh. you could. Can the replicator stuff a bunny full of capers more than it could count its... Wait, no, that didn't work. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Um. Could God make a caper so full of bunnies that even he could not lift it? That's it. There you go. Thank you. Um, I mean, if, if Data has access to at least 87 feline supplements, mm -hmm. there's definitely going to be a potato casserole with capers in there. There's a there's a great little well I say great even though Keiko's in it but there's a great little discussion about how uh, O'Brien's traditional family would cook and she's like you cook you replicator no but I think it's it's a cool way to show that this technology is so prevalent yeah that someone growing up in it would actually say really you cook mm -hmm. it's kind of like now where you you mentioned to someone that you cook something in the stove well why wouldn't you, or in the oven why wouldn't you use the microwave. I don't know, because using the oven's better. Yeah, it tastes better. But I very uh, rarely really? use a microwave. Yeah, I agree, but there are people mm -hmm. who have used microwaves their whole lives and react like that. Yeah. Like, really? Weird you use ass. an oven? Why? But that's, you know, that's sort of the way she is with, with replicators. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. Have some more replicated fish paste, Miles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I here? Poor bastard. Um, <laughs> when I put in for that transfer to DS9, I didn't think I'd have to bring you with me. Yeah, that was the whole point of me going. <sighs> yeah. Uh, my my note here, which I already sort of mentioned, it's so Star Trek and yet so un-Gene. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it feels like they're finally taking the handcuffs off and being able to tell the kind of stories that they wanted to. This is, like, this, this episode sums up everything I love about about Star Trek. Yeah. Like, this sort of modern era of Star Trek as opposed to original series. I I will say that, but I also like sometimes when they deal with the, you know, actual science fiction stuff. But no, I, I love this kind of stuff. Mm. No, this is the stuff, like, this is the, this is what drew me to DS9. This, yeah. like, this type of thing is why DS9 is my favorite, my yeah. favorite of all of them. Yeah, that like, makes sense. This is the, this is the stuff I love, that I love about Star Trek. But it's always character driven. It always has to do Absolutely. with, you know, this all wouldn't happen if not for the character stuff. It's not just a weird circumstantial anomaly or something. Yeah, exactly. It's all about people, and that's why it's great. Mm -hmm. I also, watching this, really wish they'd release a line of novels about O'Brien during the Cardassian War. Like the Young O'Brien Chronicles? Yeah, exactly. That could be interesting. Mm -hmm. or I probably, would read the crap out of that. Or probably not. Matt, you know like one in seven Star Trek books is good, right? Yes, but the more you put out, the more likely that the one is going to be good. That's true. Just by law of averages. I suppose that's true. Uh, there was a nice callback to the uh, prefix codes from Wrath of Khan, mm -hmm. where you have a, a code you can put into another Federation ship and drop their shields. Yeah. 
But that was just a nice little, like, without bonking you over the head with it, that was nice. Yeah, I always like that, and it makes it makes sense. Yeah, because you have to, like, that's a pretty big arsenal floating around out there. You need a way to, you know, if someone crazy gets it. Yeah, exactly. And I think the Phoenix was like a warship or something, wasn't it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think they acknowledged warships at this point yet. It was a new kind of ship we hadn't seen before. Yeah, that was another thing we got. The, both of these episodes, we got uh, Federation ships we'd never seen before. Well, the, no, I think the other one was the same class as the Enterprise C. I think they just reused it. Oh, that really? Model. All right. Yeah. But still, we hadn't seen it close up, so that was yeah. nice. Well, the Phoenix was cool. Looking. Yes, it was. Uh, what about you, Laurie? You, you got more points, more stuff, more things? I'm looking through my notes. Cardassian's heart is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. <laughs> Card- uh, oddly enough, though, Card- Cardassian's heart heart is. Yeah, that's that's a valid. We'll enter that into the records. Okay, well, good. Um, I would... hmm. Well, you have a note here about um, Chief O'Brien sucking up to Picard. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> awful. Where he's like, I've served with the best two captains in the fleet, uh, him and you. And he says the same thing to, to Cisco, uh, Captain Picard and you. Like, it's always like the last guy and his current guy. Yep. Kiss up. Anything you're else? The be- you're the best one ever. Let's yeah. be friends. <laughs> Maxwell has a little bit of a, a racist line. Oh, he's to got a O'Brien. Than, what did he say? Oh, about the Irish? Yeah. Yeah. What did he say? He was like, ah, oh, you've been kissing that stone, eh? Oh, God. What does that even mean? Like, I caught it as an Irish thing, but... Well, it's kissing the Blarney no, stone. No, no, I'm supposed... aware of that, but oh, what, is, okay. what is the context of him saying that there? Like, what is it... What was he implying about oh, yeah, O'Brien? That, that I don't get at all. Absolutely nothing. I don't know. O'Brien was just like, oh, hey, yep, you're here. I served under you. I, yep, you were good. <laughs> Other guy's just like, O'Brien, Irish, 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 Irish. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, but like Singapore, don't you get a wish or something? Like I, I don't know. Like I don't know what that means. I, I have no I idea. Very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, would have hoped, would have hoped we'd, move, we'd evolve beyond the need for Blarney stones at this point. <laughs> I hope we'd evolve beyond the need for Irish at this point. <laughs> yeah, Gene wishes. Yeah. Anything else? Any further business? Um, no. I like the guy who played Maxwell. I yep. thought he needed a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Severe hand talker, though. Do not oh, give God, that guy. Yeah. A, do not give that guy a cup of tea. Well, yeah. Sometimes when we're when we're kind of talking a lot over the episode, I just notice what people are doing and yeah, mm. crazy looking gestures. He's the, yeah. He does the he does the holding his fingers uh apart, like uh, away from his mouth, sort of my sauce. It is the greatest, like that kind of thing. <laughs> and then a lot of pointing and you know. Hey, Picard, she's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Serious hand talker. <laughs> I like it's that. It's a me. Completely off topic, but I like that Picard had a piece of coral in his ready room, like on Did display. He? Yeah, I didn't yep. notice that. It's a background thing again. Well, it's it's nice that you know he doesn't just have a book of Shakespeare and a fish. Like it's nice that they're giving him more stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's you know it, it's coral because it's nautical. And mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. On a ship. He's still got that picture of the Enterprise up though. <laughs> which oh, yeah. I still don't get at all. Like I don't have a picture of my house in my house. <laughs> Picture of himself on himself. Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Anything else? Uh, I think that's everything. Touched on the good. stupid helmets. Yeah. Cardassian's looking really awesome. Yeah. Cheek mustaches. All right. A guy in this episode called Time Winters. That was a weird <laughs> choice. <laughs> we got to look up who that is because, yeah, I, I, I have no idea who Time yeah. Winters is. All right. Laura, you got a quote for us? I sure do. This is O'Brien's pseudo-apology. 
I guess. It's not you I hate, Cardassian. I hate what I became because of you. Yeah, that was a that was a great moment. That was a that's a, ni- that's a nice little scene. And you do realize he's not exactly a racist. It's just he's carrying this horrible burden. Yeah, as well as the war stuff. I meant his yeah. wife. <laughs> <laughs> Take his wife, please. Miles, you carry me. Oh God. All right. Well, Laura, lovely to have you on. Like I say, we'll have to bring you on for DS9 to to hear Absolutely. your full uh, defense of Ducat. Yes. We will certainly Indeed. give you a fair. In an episode, what we like to call the Ducat defense. <laughs> right. So yes. thank you for joining us uh, next week. Oh, boy. Yeah. Next week, <laughs> we're dealing with another recycled plot from the aborted uh, Star Trek Phase 2, mm. uh, wherein Captain Picard meets the devil. <laughs> or the Rolliker, as he is commonly known. <laughs> so look forward to that. And and watch as Data bets his fiddle against the devil. <laughs> All right, Matt, take us out. Goodbye, everybody. No, take us out the right way. Oh, come on. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.